In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. After the feeding of the 5,000, People were quite uh, amazed and, and taken aback by Jesus. And that was followed by the, by the transfiguration, and that, well, that really had an impact on the apostles. One was the people, the other one was the apostles, when they saw Jesus transfigured there on Mount Tabor. It was amazing. And uh, after that, the tone, the tone of Jesus, after, in particular after the Transfiguration, the tone kind of changes. He's given them a very clear proof of his divinity, already with the, the multiplication of loaves and fish. And now he's showing himself to them very luminous and with Moses and Elijah. So presumably they have a deeper sense of his, of his divinity, and there's a very uh, curious passage. A little bit after that, that we can meditate now on. In uh, chapter nine, it says, "When the days drew near for him to be received up." Sometimes it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face. So he said, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. Because he was going to be taken up, he knew what that was. There are curious words, to be taken up. Of course, they refer, we know, to the end of his life and to the very purpose of what he was doing there. He was going to be taken up. That meant that it was the moment in which he would be taken up. He would leave this world, be taken up to heaven through the ascension. And, in fact, at the Last Supper, he says it also as, by that time, of course, he's in Jerusalem. He says, I have come from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So this idea of being taken up. But now, this is way before that. He's way far from Jerusalem, but he's facing it. And, you know, there's a, there's a moment in the, when you go to Mass in the First Eucharistic Prayer, when, well, we recall these very moments of Jesus when he's talking to them in that intimacy. And, you know, in the recital, uh, the, the the consecration narrative, you know, the priest he he takes the host. It's not yet consecrated. It's on the altar, but it's not yet consecrated. He says he took the bread. He looked up to heaven. 
And we're supposed to, in the ritual, it says in red, priest, look up to heaven. That's what it says. It says right there in red. You don't say, and priest, look up. You have to do it. You know, do the red, say the black, right? But uh, do the red, so you look up to heaven, so you have to look up. You have to look up like that. Right? And, and this, is, uh, this is what all the annotations and all the missiles say, raising up your eyes to heaven. And it's meant to be like a moment of intense prayer as you're looking up to heaven, you're looking up to God, and you're asking, God, this bread, what is just bread now, what is just wine, please use me now to transform it into your body and blood. It's meant to be a gaze. You're looking up, and it's meant to be a gaze filled with love for Jesus Christ. And it's curious how it's, it's right there in the Missal. It's only in the first Eucharistic prayer. It's not in the other Eucharistic prayers. We don't always do the first Eucharistic prayer. but um, We do it quite a bit, but you know, not always. But, but it's an ancient um, you know, aspect of the liturgy. And, uh, and you know, when you're first learning how to be a priest, you, you have to look up and you have to look back down right away to, to follow the missile, you know, to get it straight, especially if you don't know the, the ritual that well, right? And, uh, but it has to be that gaze. That's that gaze of love. And we can imagine how Jesus now is kind of gazing towards Jerusalem, but he also would have gazed at his friends, his apostles, even later, people like Lazarus and Martha and Mary, whom he loved so much. But the Gospel now says he turned his face to Jerusalem. Now that gaze is really a gaze of love because it's a gaze in which, which represents his purpose now, why he's here. I mean, now he's, he's filled everybody with admiration, with his miracles and the feeding of the 5,000 and the transfiguration. But now he's really, he's, he's fixated on, on something very important now. That is, he wants now to make this road to Jerusalem. And, and so then a little bit further on it says here, um, so, and he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Sometimes it says he was resolutely uh, going. He says, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a Samaritan village to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. See, his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another, another village. Um, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he knows he's going to the cross, he is freely, you know, complies with the Father's plan for his passion and death, and then eventually the, his resurrection and ascension. It says, uh, his face was, was uh, towards Jerusalem. Sometimes it says, he set his face resolutely, uh, steadfastly, uh, decisively, uh, unwaveringly, uh, bravely, full of courage, deliberately, 
knowing why he is doing it and where he's going, you know, pertinaciously, intently, but also with great loyalty and uh, even intractably towards his goal. You could say he was full of that deliberate, dogged, fervent desire, unflinching desire, understanding his purpose in the greater scheme of things, in the bigger picture. Now, the Samaritans, they, when he entered, they, they would not receive him because well, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans, they were always hostile to the Jews. These, this enmity came because the Samaritans were the descendants of those who married, the Jews that married Gentiles with, with, um, during the time of the Assyrian captivity in the 9th century. And, and so they had different ideas about where the temple was. And so they built their own temple in Mount Gerasim. And of course, hearing that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they said, well, he's not a, he's not a Samaritan, he's going to Jerusalem. We don't agree with that. You know, we, we believe the temple should be in Mount Gerasim. And that's why there was that tension. Right? And then James and John, well, they, they tried to send fire. And Jesus said, no, relax, guys, relax. It's okay. You, know, you don't have to send fire on these poor guys. You know? Maybe they're wrong, but you know, leave them be. But, of course, uh, we understand that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to his destiny, we could say his fate, his purpose. And we too will, of course, leave this world one day. That's obvious. And we will go also to the true temple, the temple of Jerusalem, ultimately. That's our purpose. If we don't get to heaven, I mean, what's the purpose of being here? You know, we have to get to heaven. We have to get to heaven. That's why we have to set our gaze resolutely there to Jerusalem. And uh, we can ask ourselves, well, where are you going now with your life? What direction are you taking? How is your life leading you to that purpose? How is it really, how is it really going in your life? Have you set your gaze? Have you set your direction? Are you on your way to Jerusalem? In the sense that you're on your way to fulfill God's will in your life. Do you even know where your life is going? Or are you going to Mount Gerasim, like the wrong place? What is your life really all about? What do you value? Where will you end up? Or will you build something with your life in the wrong place, as the Samaritans did? Because it's really important not to build a temple in the wrong place, or a temple on sand that will crumble as soon as the wind blows, as soon as the rains come, as our Lord said. But to, to really build our temple on rock. And to, you know, when you're young, we like to, have, we like to enjoy life when we're young. You know, if, you, if you go to any of these uh, bars or, I don't know, discotheques, you don't usually find 80-year-olds 80 there or 70-year-olds probably not even 50-year-olds, you know. You usually find young people, and they're, they're having fun, and they're, you know, they want to enjoy life. They're, you know, it's understandable. They, they want to enjoy life, right? But as you, as you get a bit older, you know, you have more responsibilities, and, uh, well, you come to understand that it's, we, we should enjoy life. We should be happy in this world. But 
but sometimes there are difficulties, the wind blows, there are hardships, and life can be difficult. And even in that, we still have to be heading to Jerusalem. And it doesn't really matter if we experience a lot of success or recognition. Who cares if we experience success and recognition if we don't, in the end, meet with our Lord in Jerusalem and are taken up like He was in the Ascension? There was a very strong words of our Lord this past Sunday in the Gospel from St. Mark, but it appears elsewhere also in the Gospel, where the Lord says that if your hand should cause you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. Like, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and go to hell, into the fire that cannot be put out. And if your foot should cause you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell, or Gehenna, as he would have said. And if your eye should cause you to sin, cut it off. Uh, uh, if your eye should cause you to tear it out, it's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm dies and not die and, 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 no, and the fire does not go out. So, you know, imagine if there are things that get in the way of going to our purpose. Yeah. Obstacles in our journey. And uh, the Lord is very strong. He says, cut off your hand. You know, the hand is what you use uh, to grab things, to hold them tight, right? to bring them to yourself. Right? It allows you to work. It allows you to be product productive. And our soul is meant for union with God. In fact, you could say that. We are made for God. But instead, if we have reached out with our hand, so to speak, to creatures, to limited things, to passing things, and we spend all our energies grasping at finite things, things that are passing, not necessarily bad, but passing, then uh, is that really worth it? Am I really, am I really going the way our Lord wants me to go? Because I'm not really made for finite things. I'm made for much more. My soul really will never die. It's made for God. My soul is made for God. And if I reach out for finite things, for limited things, you know, in some ways are our actions there can be like an obstacle. Maybe we can ask our Lord in our prayer now, maybe I'm holding on to something in my life. I've kind of, if you, if you like, embraced it with my hands. And I don't let go. You know, clenching my feet and my teeth. This could be attachments that I'm holding on to. The Lord is, is asking us, so what are my attachments? What might interfere with 
my total freedom in fulfilling, in fulfilling the commitments in the service of God. The total advancement in the way that leads to God. This is what Jesus was doing. He was on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the will of God. And then, of course, the Lord said, if your foot should cause you to sin, cut it off. The foot. Cut off your foot. I mean, obviously, the foot, feet, well, he says one foot. Okay, so one foot. But, you know, it's by the foot that we set ourselves on a definitive path. That's how we make headway in this life. But we are meant to walk in the path, which is Christ. And we can ask ourselves that too. Are my feet, or is my foot used in the pathway towards Christ, towards Jerusalem, as he said? Or have we gone down other paths? Have I gone down errant paths that um, maybe lead to human prestige, honor, glory, pleasure, paths of pleasure, paths of distraction, paths of, of superficial life? You know, in other words, what am I using my feet for? Are they really leading me towards God? What way have I chosen to walk? And uh, is it really one that I walk behind Jesus to go to Jerusalem? And of course Jesus describes himself precisely as the way, the truth, and the life. What way you know, am I really following? If he, the Lord says, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life, you know, you have to, you know, follow me. He even says, you know, follow me, I'm the way. And, uh, or am I just following my way? Am I just insisting on my will? Am I just finding sneaky ways to, sneaky ways, you know, just doing everything so that my will is actually done all the time? And I'm, or I insist on being unhappy until my will is done. Grumpy, complaining, or do I embrace maybe difficult moments, even difficult people? You know, sometimes we have to live with people that are really, 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 really annoying. They like this, they like that, and we don't like that, and we don't like that. Or they don't talk much, you know, they just never say anything. Or they don't know how to say jokes. Well, let them. Not talk much. Let them not talk much. Let them, yeah, let them be like that. It's okay. What, um, what way am I really following in my life? What is, my, what is the model of my life? How can I do that? How can I follow you more closely? We're asking you this, Lord, now in our prayer. How can I really follow you more closely? Or, like, is at the back of my mind, is it some form of careerism, some form of human success, human recognition? That's really, you know, even you can ask, what, what do I dream of? You know, what I would love to dream of. Yeah. 
In fact, what I dream of, is it truly compatible with following you, Lord? We should pray about this, our greatest dreams, our greatest desires, you could say. After all, each one here has his own, her own path to follow. We don't have to follow all the same path. There are many paths in this world towards our Lord. The pathway to Jerusalem, there were multiple ones. It's not like Google Maps, you just go one way and, uh, you know, well, they sometimes give you options, you know, but, uh, you know, there are many paths. But you got to get to Jerusalem, you got to get there. And uh, the Lord was going to the Father because that's because he was the natural son of God and he, he was not just uh, you know he was not just going there randomly for no reason he was on a mission on his way to God and you and I are sons and daughters of God and uh, so we too will be taken up by God the Father one day and um, he, he, the Lord allows us to enjoy things on this earth in other words to be truly happy here Sometimes if we focus too much on just being happy here and forget about the purpose of that happiness here, we end up actually not being all that happy. We are, what's what's the word, not not allowed, but the Lord wants us to be very happy here, but in order to be happy forever with Him, when we are taken up with Him into heaven after we die. And that is a combination that, that often many people confuse. They think they have to be unhappy here in order to go to heaven or to, to be with the Lord. Somehow unhappy. Like it is after all our Lord who has put these deep desires that we have in us. He has placed those desires. They're like, they're like magnets or the desires we have, we all have desires, deep desires. I'm sure if you wrote down on a paper, what are my, what are my deepest desires? You know? These are like the engine that can, that can be powerful or it can just sputter and be weak. C.S. Lewis spoke about desires as means of leading us to God in his great... Uh, works like the abolition of man great work very difficult to understand work but um, and he believed that we were made for we were made for joy we were made for joy you know think about that that you and I were made it's in our DNA that we're made for joy and he says he says quite in a funny way he says God is is the great hedonist he provides things for humans to do all day long, like sleeping, eating, drinking, playing, praying, working. Like a lot of things we do can provide us with a lot of, let's say, let's say enjoyment. But he also believed that to focus on these second things, because these are all second things, sleeping, eating, drinking, make, you know, playing, whatever, loving even and we neglect the first things such as worshipping and loving God 
was if we focus on the second things, that's, that we would be too easily pleased with that. Some people are just happy with eating, sleeping, drinking, uh, doing all those fun things. They're just happy with that. But we're not fully made for that, just that. We are for that, but not entirely for that. That's a secondary joy. And we can see if we've gotten stuck on those secondary joys. Let us not be too easily content with having just a nice, mediocre life. It has to be a good and honest and holy life. Above all, where we understand that we are in the hands of God, but that we're not just staying put, we're on our way to God. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet. When you arrive, okay, well then, then that's good. Well, I'll meet you there, I hope. Okay, but, uh, but we're not there yet. Let us not be content with a mediocre life. We have to really be the best version of ourselves. And that is the formula for having true happiness here on earth. That's what the saints were. They were truly happy here on earth. But they were like, obviously immensely happy in heaven. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis says. He says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. You think sometimes our desires are too strong. No, no, they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and food and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to, be, wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, maybe we are just content with playing with mud pies. And uh, the Lord is offering us so much more. But like we see in the gospel, he's inviting us to turn our gaze to Jerusalem, a gaze of love. And uh, we have to see what needs to be removed, you know, where, you know, so that we can really make that, uh, that decision to walk towards Christ. Let's ask this of our Blessed Mother. Naturally, her whole life, she opened herself to God's grace when she became the Mother of God. She, to what degree she understood, we don't know. Probably she understood something, but, uh, but she opened her, her life completely to God. And it was thanks to her yes and her movement towards God that led her all the way to the cross. She was there at the foot of the cross. The apostles were frightened. She was there with the other holy women who gave themselves completely and John. Let's ask for her generosity, the gift of herself, that we too might move towards Jerusalem to be with our Lord, where not only do we end up at the cross, but we will be taken up with him to heaven. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.